don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. All right, welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. I, um, I actually thought that I had read this one in the past on the podcast. Um, I think I checked up on it uh, like a week or two ago and realized that I had never actually tackled this one because I did read it and um, uh, probably, probably when it came out, honestly. Um, but it's by Jameson Lopp, who I actually just met at the CryptoLina 2018 conference which was a whole lot of fun and I really really was really happy that because I wasn't able wasn't able to go on Saturday the second day I was really really happy to have been able to catch Lops and um, Jeremy Welch's uh, presentation on Casa and uh, I really really enjoyed that one that's honestly one of the most exciting projects and speeches I think at the whole well uh, everything on Friday that I saw um so, uh, Lop, if you're listening to this, I really enjoyed meeting you. It was fun hanging out. Um, and, uh, and my offer still stands that if you need any work or anything, some help for free, I am on board. I would love to provide any benefit that I can uh, for you guys and what y'all are doing over there. On that, actually, on that note, I just noticed that uh, they posted earlier this morning um, a article about Casa's privacy model. Um, Jameson Lop did. So I actually think I want to hit that on the podcast. Uh, it will not be today. Today I'm reading an earlier article by Lop uh, titled The Challenges of Building Ethereum Infrastructure, which I read uh, quite a while back and thought was really good and wanted to eventually get it on the podcast. I've just somehow let it slip under the radar here. So uh, I Probably tomorrow, maybe a few days down the road, we will be reading Jameson Lop's new article, which is much shorter, um, about CASA's privacy model. Um, but for now, we are hitting, again, it's called The Challenges of Building Ethereum Infrastructure. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. Several of our engineers, myself included, have spent a substantial portion of the past year working on building low-level Ethereum infrastructure at BitGo. We've encountered a plethora of challenges along the way. In this post, we'll cover some of the more interesting ones. Ethereum J Issues Our first attempt in 2016 at building a highly indexed database of the Ethereum blockchain used Ethereum J to run the EVM in the JVM and thus parse every transaction and contract that ever occurred on the network. This ended up being a poor decision. Ethereum J was not production quality in 2016. It may be better today, but according to my conversations with Ethereum developers, it's still unreliable. We experienced multiple crashes, subpar documentation, and not so great developer support from the small number of Ethereum J experts. We lost count of how many times our Ethereum J client got stuck or corrupted and we had to delete the entire chain state and resync from scratch. We never managed to stabilize our Ethereum J indexer to the point that we were confident it was ready for production use. 
Interestingly, I came across this Stack Exchange post that noted stability issues as of June 2017. Quote, Ethereum J now also offers database pruning. I wasn't able to run it with pruning disabled as it kept crashing. End quote. 256-bit support. A fundamental problem we've had while dealing with Ethereum is how to handle 256-bit numbers. The design rationale for the Ethereum virtual machine states, 32-byte word size. The alternative is 4 or 8-byte words, as in most other architectures, or unlimited, as in Bitcoin. 4 or 8-byte words are too restrictive to store addresses and big values for crypto computations, and unlimited values are too hard to make a secure gas model around. 32 bytes is ideal because it is just large enough to store 32-byte values common in many crypto implementations, as well as addresses, and provides the ability to pack address and value into a single storage index as an optimization, but not so large as to be extremely inefficient. If you're hoping to store them in any popular production quality database as numeric types that you can query and manipulate as such, you're in for a surprise. We found that Mongo only supports 128-bit numbers, but due to a limitation in Mongoose, the Node.js Mongo driver, the actual support was 32 bits. Because our indexer has traditionally been multi-threaded in order to increase performance, we really needed the ability to atomically increment or decrement balances in Mongo while we were processing many transactions simultaneously. It's quite likely that we could be processing different transactions that affect the same account. Thus, a simple get and put operation could overwrite data. As such, we ended up developing a new data structure we called the BitGo BigInt that supports 256-bit numbers by breaking the values apart and storing them into six separate database fields. A conversion library made it simple to switch between big integers and BitGo big integers. After working on it for several months, the Ethereum network itself then suffered a series of attacks that caused the loss in confidence for the network as a whole. We shelved the Ethereum project in late 2016, despite the demand from our exchange customers, determined to revisit it when we were more confident that we would be able to deliver the quality our customers deserve. If at first you don't succeed, try and try again. As we saw the general rise in crypto assets beginning to occur, it was clear we needed to transition from just supporting Bitcoin to supporting any crypto asset with sufficient transaction volume to make it worth diversifying our revenue streams. As such, a re-architecting of our infrastructure was required in order to make it more flexible for supporting a variety of blockchains. We began writing a third indexing service from scratch, informally named the Generic Indexer. It was designed to be more modular and thus support speaking to a variety of full-node RPC interfaces with switchable support for both UTXO and account-based blockchains. This re-architected indexer service made it immensely easier to add Ethereum support, though we still ran into a few challenges. 
We wanted to completely avoid the hassle of using a custom data type to store huge numbers, so we settled upon storing numbers as strings instead. The downside is that we can't query them using numeric operators, but we've managed to avoid needing to do so by keeping this limitation in mind while developing the wallet. The other downside is that we can't atomically update the values. We must instead read the string from the database, convert it to a big integer, modify the value in memory, convert it back to a string, and then store it. In order to account for this design limitation, we've single-threaded our indexing service for Ethereum. By using a few neat performance tricks we picked up along the way, our single-threaded Ethereum indexer is actually orders of magnitude faster than our original multi-threaded Ethereum J-based indexer. More specifically, we no longer run the EVM in our indexer. We outsource that work to parity nodes. We also decided not to index the entire Ethereum blockchain and to only index transactions related to BitGo wallets. By throwing away the vast majority of data that we pull from the node, we were able to switch from a multi-threaded indexing service to a single-threaded service while still gaining an order of magnitude speedup and decreasing our data storage requirements by several orders of magnitude. Parity Issues we chose to use Parity as our node the second time around, given that it had the reputation of being the most robust and performant. This has worked a lot better than trying to run consensus code inside of the indexing service itself, but it hasn't been foolproof. It's not quite as robust as Bitcoin Core in our experience. We have experienced a variety of unexplained crashes and stalls. Those crashes occurred with 1.6.3 and we have since upgraded to 1.7.2, which seems to have fixed that issue. However, this new version has issues with the initial sync in archive mode that causes it to completely blow out the disk usage and crash on a regular basis from filling up the disk. The only solution so far has been to use a cron script to restart the node every hour or so, which somehow cleans up all the excess data on the disk. We are hopeful that this recent change will fix the issue. We also continue to experience complete loss of all peer connectivity on a regular basis with our Kavan network parity nodes. This results in our test environment nodes falling out of sync with the network. The only fix we've found for this is to delete the nodes.json config file and restart parity. We're told it was an issue with the boot nodes that was recently fixed, but we've still been experiencing stalls since upgrading. Running an archival Ethereum node requires a ton of disk I.O. since you're executing every smart contract ever performed in the history of Ethereum and updating the state on disk. It's common knowledge now that if you try to sync an archival node on a machine with spinning disk drives, it will never catch up to the tip of the blockchain. There simply aren't enough IOPS available. Thus, you must have a solid state disk to run an Ethereum node. However, this gets tricky on virtualized servers where IOPS on reliable data stores are not cheap. We started syncing a 1.7.2 archival node on a VPS with 2,000 IOPS provisioned traveled to Japan, and when I returned four days later, it was still only at block 3,800,000 out of 
out of 4,300,000. Tweet by Jameson Love. This week I learned you can start syncing an archival Ethereum node, travel completely around the world, and it still won't be finished. End tweet. We then gave it another shot with a VPS that had 5,000 IOPS. It took eight days to get to block 4,300,000. The further you progress along the blockchain, the harder the blocks become to verify due to the increased transaction volume. For example, we noted that it took over four minutes to verify this block and many others. While the machine was pegged at a constant disk read of 50 megabytes per second and write of 50 megabytes per second. As of December 2017, the Ethereum network has become even more popular and our production parity nodes sometimes struggle to stay synced with the tip of the chain due to the high disk I.O. I.O. being input-output. One possible solution to this would be for us to switch to using ephemeral storage on AWS. This is a directly attached SSD that isn't metered or throttled. The drawback is that it's not guaranteed to be durable. During a start-stop on the instance, we'll wipe out the data. Also, if the underlying drive fails, the data will be lost since it isn't mirrored. At time of writing, the chatter I'm hearing amongst other enterprise Ethereum-based services is that both Geth and Parity are suffering from performance issues due to the explosion of popularity of the network. Hopefully, the next releases of popular Ethereum node software will be focused on performance improvements. BitGo's multi-sig contract. Unlike Bitcoin and many other crypto assets, Ethereum does not have native multi-signature functionality for securing funds. BitGo's business model requires that all crypto assets be secured in a 2 of 3 multi-sig wallet so that BitGo can act as an oracle or co-signer on transactions to enforce security policies. As a result, we had to implement multi-sig with a smart contract. You can check it out here. Writing a smart contract to secure crypto assets is pretty dangerous. It's not far from rolling your own crypto, which is one of the fundamental things to avoid in this industry. Smart contract security is a whole other can of worms. BitGo is dedicating a future blog post to covering the security issues we encountered and steps we took to resolve them. Smart contract complexities. When parsing events emitted by smart contracts, it can be tricky to determine just where the money came from. In UTXO-based systems such as Bitcoin, all you have to do is look at the transaction inputs. In account-based systems, on a standard transaction, you can just look at the quote from account. However, when the value is being sent via smart contracts, it becomes much more complicated. BitGo's multi-sig contract also has quote forwarding address functionality that adds more complexity to this logic. Our first approach was to use Ethereum J to load our contract ABI and parse transaction receipts with it. It seemed to work well for parsing addresses out of the event log data, but it would consistently mangle the numeric values, which it parsed as Java big integers. After many frustrating hours of experimenting and trying to get help on the Ethereum J Gitter, we ended up once again ditching Ethereum J and ended up doing manual parsing of the byte arrays from our contract transaction event logs. 
it feels rather hacky to say, quote, get the nth 32-byte chunk of data out of this byte array, but at least it works. Smart contract debugging is also quite challenging with the current state of developer tools. It is hard to know where a transaction failed. Often you'll just get a vague error like bad jump destination. Hopefully we'll have better tools to debug smart contracts in the future. Network-wide lack of smart contract support. Other cryptocurrencies have taught us some lessons with regard to send and receive compatibility across services, especially with regard to address format compatibility. For example, Litecoin implemented a new P2SH address format in order to make their addresses incompatible with Bitcoin P2SH addresses. Prior to this, the address formats were the same, which allowed users to accidentally send Bitcoin to Litecoin addresses and vice versa. This causes headaches for services to recover the assets. Tweet by BitGo When we launched the first multi-sig Bitcoin wallet, many sites rejected, quote, three addresses as invalid. Today, same problem with Litecoin, quote, M addresses. End tweet. Unfortunately, six months later, many services that support Litecoin still don't correctly validate the new address format. This type of issue is inconvenient because it can cause users to not be able to send funds from one service or wallet to another because the sending service thinks the quote to address is invalid. However, Ethereum has a unique problem that enables users to send funds to a service but the service never sees the deposit. This is because many services take the easy route when implementing Ethereum support and they only listen for standard Ethereum transactions by inspecting the to and from address fields on the main transaction. However, if a transaction is executing a smart contract, then the movement of funds by contract events that are fired do not get reflected in to and from address fields on the transaction. Rather, they are reflected by internal transactions that must be generated by executing the smart contract and parsing the event output. Because many services don't bother to inspect smart contract events to see if they're making deposits to addresses owned by the service, BitGo wallet users may inadvertently send Ethereum to a service and not get credited causing confusion and requiring intervention by human support staff. We expect that eventually this problem will subside as smart contract sending becomes more common and services realize that listening for deposits from smart contracts is not an optional, nice-to-have feature. Nonce Issues Unlike Bitcoin, a nonce, a number used only once, has to be included with every Ethereum transaction. The nonces have to be sequential when sending from a particular address. Hence, only nonce 5 can get confirmed after a nonce 4 transaction has been confirmed from a particular address. It is a challenge managing nonces from multiple wallets, particularly if a transaction fails to be broadcast or confirmed due to any number of reasons. We've built tools to manage this, but in general, a transaction that fails to broadcast will block future transactions from confirming. This is similar to creating chains of unconfirmed transactions in UTXO-based crypto assets. 
Wallet software needs to be able to handle failed or stuck sends so that they don't cause the entire wallet to become unusable. Address generation. Services that accept deposits from many users need to generate a unique address for each user so that they know which user's account to credit when they receive money. However, generating addresses for smart contracts is more complex than generating addresses for other blockchains. On other chains, you can generate as many addresses offline as quickly as you want. And if they are never used, it's no big deal. But with smart contracts, each newly generated address must be posted as an event on the blockchain. As such, it costs money, takes time, and is a blocking operation. Because the blockchain must know about the address before it can receive a deposit, it is possible to generate an address and display it to the user, who then sends funds to it. But if their transaction gets confirmed before the transaction that generates the address, the user's money won't be detected as a deposit into the smart contract and will have to be manually recovered. To prevent users from shooting themselves in the foot, we don't allow users to see newly created addresses until after the address generation transaction has been confirmed. Network Backlogs Backlogs on the Bitcoin network have been common for over a year, and we have made adjustments to our fee algorithms to compensate. However, backlogs in Ethereum are relatively new and have side effects we didn't anticipate. The primary problem is with wallet initialization, which is similar to the address generation issue described previously. Because a transaction must be broadcast and confirmed in order to initialize a wallet contract, if the contract creation transaction gets stuck in a pending state and the user begins sending other transactions to make deposits, it's not possible for the Ethereum network to fire the appropriate contract events because the contract doesn't exist yet. Thus, we've had to add extra logic that locks the wallet and prevents users from seeing the wallet's deposit address until after the contract creation has been confirmed. South Park meme. If you don't wait for contract creation transactions to confirm, you're going to have a bad time. The road ahead. The complexities in operating a smart contract-based multi-signature Ethereum wallet have surprised us on several fronts. We still have plenty of work to do in both the operational and user experience areas, and we are eagerly observing the continued evolution of development tools and best practices for smart contract security. BitGo's next step with our Ethereum infrastructure will be support for ERC-20 tokens. We expect that the system we have built will continue to undergo trial by fire as it has to handle higher loads and secure even larger amounts of value. And there we have it. That was an article again by Jameson Lopp. Uh, you can find him at L-O-P-P -P on Twitter or at lop.net, again, L-O-P-P. -P. Um, and I've, I know I've said this multiple times in the past, but uh, his website is a wonderful resource if you want to dig in and learn about the specifics. He has so many links and stuff 
collected from all corners of the internet on the topics of Bitcoin, uh, smart contracts, and visualizers, all kinds of stuff. It's a really, really great resource. I use it constantly. Um, uh, actually, this this article itself um, is actually pretty old, six months-ish, and that's practically an eternity in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space. So it's probably pretty outdated. I mean, Jameson Lopp does not actually work at BitGo anymore. As I mentioned earlier, he is now working with Jeremy Welch at Casa, and they are building a multi-signature wallet, um, which is really, it's a really interesting project. Uh, you can follow them at Casa Hodel um, on Twitter, and that's C-A-S-A, by the way. And uh, they have a really, really interesting uh, platform that I think um, could be a really important piece of securing and educating really people about um, key management and keeping Bitcoin safe because that's going to be one of the major hurdles that we have is getting people to know how to, how to secure their stuff. I mean, this is a whole new ecosystem where you just cannot take your habits that you're used to in the normal Facebook password level internet and apply it to cryptocurrency and think you're going to have a good time. So um, what they're doing over there, I think, is really, really important. And uh, I'm really excited to kind of see how that evolves uh, moving forward. And I believe they're working on infrastructure for, uh, it's mainly for Bitcoin, but it's also for Ethereum and a bunch of ERC-20 tokens. So uh, we'll kind of keep an eye on that as development progresses. Um, so this article, like I said, is roughly six months old so a lot of the stuff is outdated but you'll notice there's a lot of similarities between uh, this and what stop and decrypt has been writing about with syncing issues um, uh, needing such a high degree of inputs and outputs that you can't even run it on a spinning disk anymore it's it's requiring a lot of uh, hardware and immense amounts of time in order to keep these things synced and in addition, it goes to show how nuanced all this stuff is. Like, it's not just a simple matter of, oh, as long as you have a computer with a big enough CPU. Like, there's multi-threading versus single-threading. There's how do you store the numbers? Are they in 32-bit segments, or can you use big integers? Like, I mean, the, the level of seemingly minor things that can have such huge effects on keeping this stuff running and making it work as opposed to causing massive problems. I mean, the parity bug is the perfect example of how something tiny can cause hundreds of millions of dollars in damages. It's just, this is a, this is a, na this is a game that's standing on the edge of a knife at all times. So it's important to remember how critical security is to this entire industry and the ecosystem as a whole. And it is paramount that the underlying protocol not have any problems because we're just because of the mountain of issues we're going to have just with wallet software interacting between clients. It, like th that's why I think the Bitcoin perspective or the Bitcoin prioritization is so critical because it's making sure it's hardening the underlying base as much as humanly possible and making sure that any performance limitations are not in the protocol, that they can be fixed with the wallet software and on the client side. So 
Um, I think this was important to hit, even though it is a little bit outdated now. Anything that more is more than two weeks old is pretty much outdated, it seems. And <laughs> but uh, uh, Jameson Lobb is always a good one to read. He's got a lot of other great stuff to dig into, and. Uh, Please follow him on Twitter and Medium at L-O-P-P. And, of course, check out Casa Holdel with him and Jeremy Welch and the work they're doing over there, which will be awesome to keep an eye on going forward. All right, guys. Um, thanks for listening. This has been a Crypto Economy Quick Read. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at the Crypto Economy and Medium as well. And like I've said previously, i got some big announcements coming up. And episode 100 is right around the corner. So don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and share it with all your friends so you can hear about the cool shit we're doing over here at The Crypto Economy. And if you would like to support the show, I actually have gotten a couple of donations recently. Uh, somebody sent me like a $50 donation, roughly. Uh, so awesome. Thank you all for that. That was, that was a really great. It was a big surprise. I hadn't really checked my addresses because they've been kind of empty the whole time. And I was like, hey, that pays for... Podbean and a couple other things to keep this thing running. So that's awesome. Thank you guys so much for the donations. And if you would like to support the show, I will obviously put up that uh, donation address uh, with the episode. So again, thanks for listening, guys, and I will catch you tomorrow. This has been the Crypto Economy Cod Codpast. That's what we call it now. This is the Codpast. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. <laughs>